1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to start reading verses 1 and all the way to 28. Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives. That's interesting already, isn't it? Notice how it doesn't say, let love be your highest goal and don't seek the spiritual gifts. What it actually says is, let love be your motive in everything and definitely go after the spiritual gifts. Especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God And since people won't be able to understand you, you will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be all mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages others, and comforts others. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the whole church. I wish, verse 5, you could all speak in tongues. Now, you hear him? Does he want you to speak in tongues? Yes. Yeah. But does he want you to speak in tongues if you're handed the microphone and no one can interpret? No. no. Interesting, right? I've got friends and they don't want anyone to speak in tongues. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. Does he, does he want every single believer to prophesy? Yeah, even, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, I want you all to prophesy. Interesting. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. So if someone interprets tongues, it basically becomes what? Prophecy. Prophecy. It's just a slower version of prophecy. (laughs) Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play the notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. Actually, that's my main complaint about the whistling in my house. My wife says, why are you complaining about the whistling? I like when the children whistle. And I say, I like when they whistle a tune. (laughs) Not just... (laughs) Make it a melody. Okay. Yeah. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know that they are being called to battle? Ooh, that's that's a good word right there. It's the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you're saying? You might as well be talking into empty space. There are many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning, but if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to the one who speaks it, and the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. So since you're so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. So anyone who speaks in tongues, listen, there's another one. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray for the ability to interpret. So what have we been told so far? Seek tongues, seek prophecy, 
and seek the interpretation of tongues. And all of it with a motive of love. And to focus on building up others with our use of spiritual gifts when we are together. But when you're alone, one of the reasons tongues is helpful is to build up your spirit. I think that's probably down here in, in further. Okay, let's see. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray for the ability to interpret. Verse 14, for if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying. That's interesting. So there's praying in the spirit in tongues as opposed to Acts chapter 2, which is not about praying so much as it is about preaching, declaring the works of God. If I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. So your spirit is being strengthened, but your mind is confused. At, at the very least, it doesn't know. It might even be offended. You might, you, you might even have the different parts of your person with an opposite opinion of the matter. First time I prayed in tongues, my spirit was like, yay! And my mind was like, ashamed. <laughs> what is this foolishness? <laughs> and there was no one even there, and I was still blushing with embarrassment. <laughs> well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand praise God along with you? Apparently it's really important when we come to worship, not just to worship in such a way that God is happy and our spirit is having a good time, but in a way that helps others join in the fun. That's important. If the only motive is me and Jesus, but I'm in public, it's actually selfish. So when you're praying in the Spirit, you're speaking in tongues, is that what you're saying? Not every time. Meaning, you can pray in the Spirit without speaking in tongues, but if you're speaking in tongues, you are praying in the Spirit. Let me see if I can say that better. You can pray a prayer that is coming from your Spirit, and it's also in English. You can pray a prayer that's coming from your spirit and it happens to not be in English. Right? I call it that. The Bible doesn't call it that, but I call it that because that's a helpful way of talking about it. Uh, let me see how much further I should go down here because I feel like it gets very repetitive, but let's, yeah, let's just keep going. Who remembers where I left off? Because I, I don't. Thank you, sir. For if I praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join in the giving thanks? Okay, so now we're, now we're actually... But earlier we were praying in tongues. Then, then we were singing in tongues. I don't know if you noticed. Now we're worshiping in tongues. Do you think he gave all the uses of tongues in this little chapter? Because I don't. There's, I've experienced warfare tongues. I've experienced intercession tongues, maybe Romans 8. The groaning with work beyond things, there aren't words strong enough to groan with the groans the Holy Spirit puts in you. Now, I'm not saying that every groaning of the Spirit is tongues. That's not my point. But my point is there are things, there are, there are burdens, there are yearnings that, that come from the Lord in us that are deeper than language can convey. Now, you know that if you pray by the Spirit, you're praying the perfect will of God, correct? Yes. So whatever you're praying in tongues, it is the perfect will of God, correct? 
That's one reason it's helpful. Well, I don't know what to pray. And tongues is helpful when I don't know what to pray. When I do know what to pray, I pray English. Because that way I'm both praying in my spirit and in my mind, and I'm trucking. But there are times I don't know what to pray. And Stanley would like this one, but uh, I pray to prime the pump. But let's, I got a whole bunch of notes. I mean, just, I'm, I'm so trying to read this. I'm just, I'm just interrupting myself. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. That's an interesting point to make. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five, five understandable words to help other people than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Why? When I'm here, I'm here for you. When it's me and Jesus at my house, ain't no rules. <laughs> I'm allowed to lay down, yell, make zero sense or concern for whether or not the snot gets wiped off anytime soon. It don't matter because it's me and Jesus. But if I did that on a Sunday, if all I did was hoop and holler and scream like a madman, maybe three or four people would like it in this room. There'd be a whole lot of people wishing that I had said something helpful that made sense. And for other, do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, then he says, don't be childish when it comes to these things. Be innocent like babies when it comes to evil, but in these kinds of things, be like mature adults. Uh, yeah, verse 22. Speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. We'll come back to that in a moment. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not unbelievers. And we'll come back to that maybe. And then he says, if unbelievers come in to the church, people who don't understand, and you're all speaking in tongues, they are all going to say, y'all are crazy. <laughs> but if everyone's prophesying, then they will be convicted and judged by what you say, and the secrets of their hearts will be exposed, and they will fall to their knees and worship God, saying, he's really among you. So summarize, verse 26, when you meet together, one's going to sing, another one's going to teach, another one's going to give a revelation, another one's going to speak in tongues, another one's going to interpret what's said. But everything must be, that is done must strengthen the body, everyone. When no more than two or three should speak in tongues, one at a time, with an interpreter. But if no one is present who can interpret, then they must be silent in the meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Same with prophecy. Let two or three prophesy and let the others weigh carefully what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation, the first one sits down and then everyone can have a turn to speak one after another so that everyone can learn and be encouraged. Remember, those who prophesy are in control of their spirit. Don't give me this God made me do it crap. Because God's not a God of disorder, but of peace. This is the word of the Lord. I will say, this instruction is totally unnecessary in a dead church. In a dead church... There is no need to tell people to calm down, slow down, and speak one at a time. In a dead church, they don't have such overflowing passionate worship and love. 
that they need these instructions. These passages have been used to criticize Christians who speak in tongues. Not by Paul. Paul's not criticizing tongues at all, is he? He's encouraging it. He's saying, let's make sure we do this in a way that's beneficial. And I'm pointing out, which problem would you rather have? A church that's so alive, that's so hungry, that's so enthusiastic, that they have so much zeal for Jesus and for the things of the Spirit, that they need to be told how to direct that energy a little better. Or would you like to have a church where everyone is so staid and calm and rational that they will never need that instruction? I'm going to pick this one. I'd rather have the crazy church. I'd rather have a garden with soil so vibrant that I'm going to have to go pull a bunch of weeds rather than soil so crap garbage that I just wish something would come up. No, no disorder here. Oh, yeah, of course there's no disorder. There's no life. All right, so tongues. That's the topic of the night. It's a gra- I got like 20 points. And there's a whole bunch of stories. And this is not like a, a, a coherent theology of tongues. This is just like Tim made a pile of tongues-related stuff and said, let's see what happens if we talk about it. Uh, the first kind of tongues is tongues as human languages. Human languages. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, when the Spirit comes on the 120 in the upper room, they, they start to speak about what God has done in languages, human languages that they never learned in school. That's amazing. So, so these folks show up and they go, uh, that's, that's weird. I understand him. <laughs> human languages. Uh, Acts 2, Kimborowski. Okay. Kimborowski. Remember when she went to, U- the, was it the Ukraine? And after a service, these folks were talking about where to take her out to eat. And she said, oh, yeah, I'd love to go out to eat. And they were like, what are you talking about? And she's like, what do you mean? And and they said, we were speaking in Ukrainian. How do you know that's what we're saying? And also, why are you speaking in Ukrainian? And she's like, I am? (laughs) And then it happened again when she came home stateside. When she bumped into some Ukrainians, she understood them again and found herself accidentally speaking their language. Hello? That's definitely not accidental. Oh, it happened by chance. (laughs) Uh, A Lutheran chaplain. Lutheran chaplain. Lutheran chaplain at a hospital was praying with a Muslim family, and he felt led by the Spirit to pray out loud in his prayer language, which you just heard in 1 Corinthians 14 is inappropriate. But he felt led to do it anyway, so he did. The end... The old, the old uh, mom of the group, the grandma of the group, was crying and said, that was beautiful. How did you learn our language? And he said, what? <laughs> what did I say? And she's like, you talked about how loving and comforting God was in the midst of our pain or something like that. Lutheran chaplain. 
that's human languages. Tongues as a human language. Uh, this, I think, is the meaning of the verse we just read where it says tongues are for unbelievers. In Acts 2, it's about the nations. It's a missionary heart of a missionary God who wants everybody to know his love. And that's the point of tongues are for unbelievers. Because well, you go, well, how could a prayer language then be for unbelievers? Well, in this kind is a missionary gift. And that's, that just, that's cool. Oh, tongues as angelic languages. 1 Corinthians 13. By the way, this is a weird topic. Because I have no idea what, like, how to land the plane at the end. I don't. Tongues as angelic languages. 1 Corinthians 13.1. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but don't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And most people, what? They just read right over that, and they go, love is important, and that is the point. But it's like, dude, did you just notice what he said? What do you mean there are angel languages? And what do you mean humans can pray in them and speak them? Sometimes we're praying in angel languages, you guys. Sometimes we're singing in angel languages, you guys. Now, I know he's, the point he's making is that love is the real, real big deal, but I just don't want us to miss the, the example he's giving is also true and kind of neat. Anyone else think that's cool? I've always loved that. Angelic languages. Angels be like, oh, how does he know my language? <laughs> that's just cool. Tongues as worship and thanksgiving to God. We saw that, right, in, in verse uh, 17. So, tongues as worship. And then the big distinction between public versus private. Which I actually feel like we've already kind of beat to death just by reading through the text that in private, go crazy. In public, you have to exercise a measure of self-control. Doesn't mean you can't do it, but you have to be a little bit more measured in how you do it, because the goal is to be helpful to people, not just helpful to you and Jesus. Now, I do think that we can cultivate a church culture in which people are a little bit more relaxed and just chill, okay? <laughs> like, not everything needs to be so, oh, that was such a distraction. Okay, some things are a distraction, but like, maybe we need a higher distraction threshold. Can yeah. I, do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, if, <laughs> just, but, but still, we want the motivation, because that's not just tongues. Like, let's say you just, you know, you wave your arms wild, wildly when you sing, and you keep slapping people in the face. At some point, it's like, okay, all right. You know, if you know you're going to do that, can we just have you space out a little bit and stop knocking people down? Like, you know what I mean? You know, or better yet, let me ask you this question. Do you have to do that here? <coughs> you can swing your arms wildly and break your own lamps at home. Like, I'm just saying. Those are questions worth asking. You know what I mean? Uh, number. <laughs> I've been around stuff, though. Hasn't happened here much, but I've been around some stuff. 
Uh, and verse, oh no, what was this one? Uh, oh, I missed one. Well, just put it here. Tongues as intercession. Man, I tell you what, there was a time when I thought I fell away in seminary because the, the stuff they did in seminary was so intense and so intellectual, so detached from my following of Jesus, so just ideas that my heart just dried up under the weight of it all. And I was like, I'm not even a believer anymore. And I remember telling God, I don't believe in you anymore, which is irony. And uh, that was 2005. And then my friend had a heart attack, and instantly I found myself praying in tongues for him. Now, before I made the decision to pray in tongues for him, uh, or at least before I was aware that I made the decision. And it was like, okay, so I, don't, I say I don't believe, but as soon as I found out my friend's in trouble, emergency intercession, tongues come flowing out of me. Hmm, maybe I do believe. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, this thing called faith is a whole spirit, soul, body thing, and it doesn't just belong to little old Tim's mind and feelings. Just maybe my spirit is in union with the Holy Spirit, even if I don't feel like I believe. That's a good word. But yeah, intercession. Uh, prophecy. Superior. Now, prophecy is not superior in terms of building you up in the spirit. It's only superior in the sense of making sense to others. Just wanted to point that out because I don't like tongues to get a bad rap. Um, okay. With interpretation... Functions as prophecy. Okay, now, that all sounds like, what are we even talking about? Like, like, let's, let's do a story. I was in a Sunday night meeting with a whole bunch, with, with a whole bunch of uh, short-term missionary kids and a bunch of Mennonites, right? So not a high charismatic quotient. And one of my friends says, she's freaking out. She's just so embarrassed. And she's like, Ugh. I feel like the Lord wants me to speak out loud in a tongue. It was one of those prayer meeting things where you'd have a lot of singing and then a lot of silence in between songs and a lot of kneeling and bowing and a lot of this and a lot of this and a lot of journaling. One of them meetings. And in one of those silence, she's just like, I feel like I'm supposed to speak in a tongue. And we were all like, okay, do it. And she's like, oh, but that's so awkward. I only, I've only done it in private. I've never done it with other people. And we're like, we, we neither. And, and we, so we kind of look in the Bible and we're like, well, it says here someone needs to interpret. Do you have the gift of interpretation? And she's like, I don't know. And we were like, well, does anyone else have the gift of interpretation? And we were all like, uh, we have no idea if we have the gift because we haven't even tried. And so then we said, I guess give it a shot and we'll all ask for an interpretation? Question mark? So what is it, like 35 kids in the room and, and then the staff? So she goes off in her tongue, in her prayer language. And I'm there, and I'm asking God to give somebody else the interpretation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> give someone the interpretation, Father. But as soon as she starts praying in this gobbledygook, this random syllable language, 
Uh, you know them old Apple IIe computers with the green computer screens? You remember how you type, I'm low, I'm looking at you, you ain't old enough. Uh, <laughs> when you'd type, there was a delay. You'd type and then a little bit later the words would show up. So she's like, blah, 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 blah. And, I, and, then, and what I saw right in front of my eyes was the Lord will show you the way. And then, of course, I did what any reasonable human would do. I assumed it was just my imagination, and I sat in silence waiting forever <laughs> for whoever had the real interpretation to speak. Uh, God, please, let someone else say whatever that real one was as I waited. And finally, I was like, oh, please, give me a break. You're going to make me do this, aren't you? So I just said, acting as calmly and confidently as though I've done this all the time, I just said matter-of-factly, I just said it. I just said it. The Lord will show you the way. And across, see, you just pre pretend that you, that's all of life. It's pretend, do what you think Jesus is telling you to do and pretend to be confident at the same time. I'm kidding. And across the room, this, lady, this young lady looked, looked me right in the eyes and, and started to unpack what, the deep things she had been seeking God about that night. Because apparently she had just been finished asking the Lord a question about this thing that was coming up in her next season of life and what to do about it. And then right on cue, as soon as there was a pause in her prayer, I said, the Lord will show you the way. And she seemed to look at me as though I knew all that. And I felt like someone who immediately had got involved in someone else's private conversations and wished I could get out. Uh, but I learned something. I learned that I didn't know... I could do that at all, but apparently I could. She didn't know she could do that at all, and she apparently could. And Kristen, so it was Jessica, Tim, and Kristen, not one of us knew any of that was coming, but we left space in the meeting, and guess what? We functioned in a gift we'd never experienced before. No one taught us to do it. It was just in the book, so it should work, and it did. That's fun. That's one story about how it can function as prophecy. Another one is one, one night, Carrie was praying over me in bed. It's not, we're not as spiritual as I make that sound. It's very rare for us to, <laughs> to have any energy left to pray over each other in bed. Uh, <laughs> do it in the morning. She's like, can I pray over you? Because I forget something was going on in, in life. <laughs> you saw something going on. Can I pray over you? Okay, I feel like praying over you in tongues. Great, do it. And so she's praying over me in tongues, and I caught myself trying to interpret. And then I realized, what am I doing? Like, when somebody's praying over you, what are you doing praying along? Just shut up. Hold still. That's just so irritating when you're trying to pray over somebody, and they're just motoring. 4,000 RPMs. You're like, just calm down. You don't even get in receive mode, woman. Uh, it's, it's usually a woman. <laughs> but in that case, it was me. I was the one revved up. I'm like trying to, to, trying to hear. I'm like, ah, oh, man, I just really want to know what she's praying. She's praying over me in tongues. She does this little weird African clicky thing mixed in with weird syllables. And I'm like, I want to know what she's praying because I want to know what the Spirit is saying over me. And I feel like I hear the word singing, and I go, wait a minute, what am I doing working so hard? I'm supposed to be receiving. So I finally realized I should chill. Then she's done after a season of prayer. I don't know, those are Christian words. I'm not sure what we mean by that. When she was done, I said, now, do you know what you were praying? And she goes, oh, I have no idea. I said, oh, let me ask you it a different way, Carrie. 
while you were praying in tongues on this track, was there another train beside that train with concepts you did understand that was traveling at the same speed with that other train? And she's like, yeah. I said, what was that one praying? I was asking the Father to sing a lullaby over you. And I was like, I heard the word singing. Uh, th then we both started crying because it was double confirmation, right? Me hearing and her hearing, it was like double confirmation. We're hearing Jesus. And then there's the reality of the Father is singing over me. If the Spirit wanted her to ask for it, then I know it's happening. That was cool. That was functioning like a prophecy. So based on what I just said in those two stories, can you see how maybe you might already have more ability to interpret than you might have thought? The thing about the two trains, did that make sense? Isn't that weird? All right. Uh, tongues strengthen your spirit. Not your mind. I hear, my, man, I have friends that are just weird. Uh, that should be a little S. The Holy Spirit is a capital S. Your spirit is a little S. Don't ask me why. I guess because you're not God. <laughs> yes, you're definitely not. Uh, I have friends that because they know that tongue strengthens their spirit, and what I mean by that is it like it gets me connected. It gets me, it gets me in a place of faith. It gets me in a place of, if, this sounds really wrong to say, but it's true. It helps me feel the Holy Spirit. It helps me get in the spirit. And um, I have friends that are like, I set an alarm for five minutes and I pray in tongues till that alarm goes off. And I'm like, whew, that's like doing 20 burpees on purpose. Like, I ain't got time for that. Like, I pray in tongues when I feel like it. I, it comes out of me. I don't, I, I don't, I don't like, that's like saying I'm going to French kiss my wife for 15 seconds every morning, whether we want to or not, because it's good for our relationship. Here we go. Ready? Somebody did the timer going. I, uh, I'm sure that would help something, but I ain't doing it. Like, that's it's weird. So I ain't doing the timer on the tongues thing either. I tried it once. 15 minutes feels like nine hours to me, and it didn't help. It just made me kind of sweaty and mad at Penn Clark, who's the one who sent it to. And I'm sure it works for him. And I have another friend that, like, says it's great, but shoof. But it can, it can strengthen your spirit. When Jackie Pollinger... Uh, when she started to pray in tongues, she hated it. And then these Pentecostal folk came back and they're like, girl, are you using this gift? And she's like, no, it's terrible. Why would I want that dumb gift? What I want is the gift of evangelism and to see sick people healed and to see addicts get off uh, out of addiction. That's what I want to see. You come with me with tongues. I want that stuff. And they like rebuked her and they're like, you need to pray in tongues 15 minutes every day. So she did it anyway, just out of obedience. You know what she started seeing? People get saved, people get healed, and addicts come out of addiction without any, detox, like without any DT symptoms. So then she got excited about tongues. She wasn't excited about tongues based on how it made her feel because she doesn't care about that, and that was annoying to her. But when she saw the fruit in other people's lives, what was going on, guys? What was going on was she was praying things she didn't know she was praying in accordance with the will of God, and she was strengthening her spirit. Dude, I don't know how this works. I'm just telling you the true stories that I know. Uh, my story, my story. So I had a friend named Jarrett, 
And Jared's dad was like a crazy Pentecostal pastor who like had an encounter with Jesus made, in, made of light in an upper room thing. And that's how he got called into the ministry. And that's the kind of story that apparently is normal in their family. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay. So my story was like, sin bad, Jesus good. <laughs> so much different than yours. And so I started hanging out with Jared. And when we would pray together, we would walk together outside and pray. He would pray in tongues, and it was just so beautiful. I'd never heard it before, because I never grew up around it. And his didn't sound like the stereotypical ones that I then later would hear in other churches. His didn't sound, his sounded like beautiful. And I'll put it this way. He's, it was praying with calligraphy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just beautiful calligraphy that makes you go, I'm going to cry. I don't even know what you're praying, but I would feel the prayers that were lodged in my gut coming out of him and finding release as we walked outside under the, under, you know, in, in, in nature. Beautiful. Made me really want tongues. Then he would pray that way in front of my other Mennonite friends. Oh, come on, Jared. You got to stop, bro. It just made me want to sweat with discomfort and embarrassment. And that's, I'm not telling you that's like the Lord. I'm telling you that's Tim's feelings and experiences. Me and Jared alone outside, and it was like, oh. Me and Jared with my friends, and it was like, dude, not now. They don't know what that is, bro. That's, I can't even pray I'm so embarrassed, you know. But Jared was a huge and positive influence on me. So then I was getting ready to go out to India. I'm just sharing people who influenced me. Uh, and the little old uh, crazy, let's call her crazy grandma. This is a crazy grandma. She's one of these oneness Pentecostals. Don't believe in the Trinity. The Father is Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is Jesus. It's only Jesus. Don't give me this Trinity stuff. It's actually a heresy. But anyway, uh, it's, it is. It's, it's a terrible heresy. But she was a sweetheart, and, uh, and I guarantee you she's in heaven if she's dead. <laughs> I just guarantee you. So one day she calls me up. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing really well. Getting ready to head off to India to do missions. Oh, honey, you filled with the Holy Ghost, I said. As soon as she asked the question, are you filled with the Holy Ghost, he just whooshed on me as if to say, calm down. It's going to be okay, bro. It's going to be okay. And I said, yes, I am. And I had already wrestled through that because... I was like, I don't know, am I, am I full of the Holy Spirit? My pastor was like, well, what happens when you pray? And I'm like, well, the air around me starts to glitter, and I feel this thing all over the skin on my face, and when it gets heavier, it's like, oh, you know, and then I look outside the window, and all this, the whole sky is glittering, and like, I just cry when I see his, that he died on the cross. It just, I don't know why I can't stop crying, and I can't stop crying when I see Mary in Luke chapter 7 weeping and washing his feet with her tears. I just can't stop crying, and I don't even want to read that passage in front of anybody because it's too sacred and no one deserves it. And anyway, but no, I don't think I'm baptized in the Spirit at all. And he starts laughing, and he's like, dude, <laughs> if you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, no one is. And I'm like, why? And he just kind of went off and explained and took me through some passages. Well, then she calls me and says, Honey, are you filled with the Holy Ghost? Whoosh, he comes all over me again and says, Calm down. It's okay, I got you. And then she says, Well, do you? I said, Yes, I am. Oh, good. Then you speak it in tongues. I said, well, Actually, I haven't spoken in tongues yet. I'd like to. 
And she's like, honey, if you don't speak in tongues, then you ain't got the Holy Ghost. And he's just like, no, she's wrong. He's just hanging out saying, nope, she's wrong. I got off the phone. I blessed her, wished her well. And I said, Lord, I believe you. I believe I am already baptized in the Spirit. But I want tongues. <laughs> so I went out to the RV camper, and I shut the door behind me, and I pulled a Jacob. You know the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel? He says, what? The angel says, let me go. Morning's coming. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I pulled a Jacob. Now, God is sovereign, guys. You can't even get saved in the moment that you want to. Just so you know that. Salvation is you responding to a call. You can't get free of an addiction in the moment you choose to. Getting free of an addiction is responding to, a, to, a, to an offer of the Spirit. You can't get baptized in the Spirit when you want to. Jesus is sovereign over these things. We humans are so presumptuous. We literally think this stuff's under our control. Denominations are filled with people who believe you signed the card, you prayed the prayer, you're saved. If your spirit did not respond to the real call of God, you're not saved. You just signed a freaking card. Denominations are filled with people who believe that you're born again because you went down into the baptism water. There's whole denominations that think the baby got dunked in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Now the baby's going to heaven. The baby's regenerate. Look, the baby's already going to heaven. Just pointed that out, but it's a separate talk. No, we, the baby didn't get saved. The baby got prayed for and wet. Right? We turn, we turn the, the, these sacred holy things in which God is so sovereign and so sacred and so amazing and so in control and I'm not, we turn them into these little machines where we just pull the levers and put the quarters in and go, see, God said in his book, so we set up a system and now it's going to work that way. Ha <laughs> ha! Which is how you can have people praying in tongues who aren't baptized in the Spirit, which is how you can have people attending churches who aren't saved who say they are, which is how you can have people who are baptized who don't know the Lord, hearts are as far from them as the day is long, because we made it up. And I'm like, so when I say I went out and I pulled a Jacob, I don't mean I pulled a lever and it worked, and you can do it too. What I mean is, for some reason, God saw the sincerity of my heart that night, and he met me. I said, I ain't leaving this camper till you give me tongues. And the spirit kept coming heavier and heavier and heavier. And it got so heavy that I was like, okay. Like, I don't know how much more my body can handle, but probably tongues should happen soon before we all implode and melt. And then I just felt like he said, open your mouth. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. And I did. And I started to say this stupid sounding baby talk. And instantly I'm blushed with embarrassment. And I'm like, oh, I made it up myself. It was just me. I'm a fool. There's no one here to be embarrassed by. Why are you so embarrassed? And then I hear the Father say, whoever speaks in a tongue, his spirit is built up and his mind is unfruitful. Why would you think your mind would feel like this is spiritual? Now offer that thing to me as worship and stop judging it. I go, oh boy, this is so awkward. Next thing you know, I'm outside under the stars and I'm speaking whatever this is to God as worship, trying hard not to judge it. And over the years, the sound of it has changed significantly. I've developed different sounds for different moods and things. And it's been a very helpful tool 
but I don't know God would have ever zapped me with it. And like prophecy, I don't know that you're just going to get really good at it without choosing to practice. There's a lot of folk that do not believe in practicing spiritual gifts because they think that's a contradiction. They practice the piano, they practice basketball, they practice everything else in their life to improve in it, but they believe that somehow when it comes to spiritual gifts, practicing it is, is, not, is not true and doesn't apply. Brian Connolly came year one and prophesied over us and it was good. Two or three years later, he came back and prophesied over us and it was insane. He was calling things out that I've never seen anyone do before. He walks up to, well, I can't name names without permission. He walks up to so-and-so and says, did you used to write children's books? Yeah, I did. Me. I didn't know that. But you quit because you thought they were silly. Yeah, I did. They're not silly. God says, write those books. Me. What? Goes to the next person. All I see is Africa and youth ministry. Does that make any sense to you? Well, yeah, we just got back from Africa with youth with a mission. Every single person was like that around the circle. I said, Brian, what the heck happened to you? He said, I made myself prophesy over at least two people every single week for a year. Now, some people would hear that and they would go, oh, didn't you just say God's sovereign? No, I didn't say he invented prophecies. I didn't say he, 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 he treated God like a machine. What I mean is he made himself available to hear God on behalf of someone else. It was a discipline where he opened himself he said, I I'm going to force myself to be uncomfortable and take on the posture of a disciplined learner for every day. I'm going to be listening. And when I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray for Aunt Mary. And when I pray for Aunt Mary, I'm going to write down a few things that think might have actually been prompted by the Lord. Then I'm going to go into her presence and I'm going to say, hey, I was praying for you and here's some things that happened. And I'm going to speak it over to her, over her like a prophecy. At least two people a week. I'm telling you guys, he was a different man when he came back to us. I doubt he saw the difference in himself, but what I saw was the sharpest, most razor... I'm going on too long on this point. I'm never going to finish if I keep this up. What about cessationism? You ever heard of cessationism? Cessationism means to cease, right? To cease or to stop... Cessationists believe that God doesn't do miracles anymore, God doesn't speak anymore, there are no more gifts, no more prophecy, no more tongues, none of that anymore. And, and that those who claim that God does those things are deceived by Satan. Not, not fun. Um, the main text that they use to support their belief is in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, where it says... <laughs> Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture, but when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When the perfect arrives, the imperfect will cease. So they're saying there's a time coming, according to 1 Corinthians 13, when these spiritual gifts will stop. I agree with that. It's the time when the perfection comes. They say the perfection is this book. That when the perfect word of God was collected into a leather-bound volume with maps and a glossary, now we have no more need of spiritual gifts. I say 
when the perfect comes means the return of Jesus to consummate the will of God and the kingdom of God on earth so there's no more sin, no more death, no more evangelism, no more weeping, no more cancer, no more injustice, but God dwells among us and no more ministry or prophecy will be necessary because everyone will know the Lord even as the Lord knows them. So can you see how I'm not a cessationist? Because my thing says, until that happens, we actually need these gifts like power tools to do kingdom work, to expand and extend the kingdom. So the very verse that they used to say shouldn't do it is the very verse that I say we should absolutely do it. Anywhoozle. So what is the perfect in 1 Corinthians 13? I think it's the return of Jesus. Hmm, let's see. Pentecostalism. How about this one? I'm super grateful for Pentecostalism because without them, we would not have rediscovered the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right around the turn of the 20th century, the 1900s through 1910-11, there was a, a group of people who were reading the book of Acts over and over. They were reading the book of Acts and they were saying, it looks like the church in the book of Acts was baptized in the Holy Spirit and once they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they were new people. And they had the same miracles and healings and spiritual gifts that Jesus walked in. And that was normal. I don't see that happening in our churches. And if you read through the book of Acts, specifically through the book of Acts, and, you, and you're just doing a study of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will see a very clear correlation between tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's so consistent that you can totally understand why they finally concluded that the outward sign of the Spirit's inward filling has to be tongues every time. I'm so grateful for Pentecostals. Not salvation. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same as salvation. No, the disciples were born again way before they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived 30 years faithfully before he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit in the Jordan River when John the Baptist baptized him in water to fulfill all righteousness, then the Spirit came on him, and after that, he had a power ministry. So even the Lord himself was, not, was already a child of God, and then he was empowered for ministry through the baptism of the Spirit. So some people will say, oh, no, everyone who's saved is already baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, I wish. And for some, it does happen that way. Cornelius and his buddies in Acts chapter 10, they were baptized in the Spirit before they even got in the water because God's not in, stuck in our little boxes, yeah. mm -hmm. right? So it can happen all kinds of ways. Uh, let's see, how long do I want to talk? Nine more minutes. Is that okay if I go nine more minutes? I guess if you need to leave, you can leave. Charismatics believe in the work of the Spirit, but don't necessarily view tongues as the only essential evidence that you've been baptized in the Spirit. And then, uh, I, that's where I'm at. I, I, I think there are a number of evidences of the baptism of the Spirit. Tongues is one of the potential ones. Um, in, I think it's also possible to pray in tongues and not be baptized in the Spirit. Uh, and that's annoying, by the way. That's annoying. That's like being baptized and not born again. It's really annoying. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. 
um, because I'm not them and I'm not God. But uh, I love how Penn Clark puts this. Penn's really helpful. He says, when you get born again, you get God on the inside. And when you, when you learn to function in the gifts, you learn to let God out. I like that way of thinking about it. Uh, because sometimes it, it can turn into a thing of, I have a friend, and I'm not going to name him because I don't have any permission to. And this friend is so full of the Lord that with a word, he could bring me to peace, to a place of peace. And I watched this man for years judge himself as not yet full of the Spirit because he had not spoken in tongues. He doesn't pray in tongues. Uh, first thing, I think he probably could have prayed in tongues if if he had allowed himself the embarrassment of, of, of the process. But secondly, his fruit and his power in my life was far more valuable to me. Does that make sense? With a word, he could bring me to a place of peace. Doesn't that sound like prophecy? Yeah. Is more effect, like, so is can't prophecy at least be one of the evidences if tongues is? It's like, come on, guys. And by the way, in the book of Acts, prophecy is one of the markers, and so is ecstatic worship and adoration and like enthusiastic, heartfelt rejoicing is one of the things, right? So I'm not saying that uh, tongues isn't an evidence of, of, of the baptism of the Spirit. I just think it's silly to make it the only one that, that counts. Do you know what I'm saying? John Wimber drew an observation that I found, find really kind of intriguing. He spent a lot of time praying for the sick for healing. Lots of time. And training other people to pray for the sick for healing. And he drew an observation. It's not a rule. It's not in the Bible. It's an observation. And what he, what he said was, that's the word Wimber. <laughs> what he said was, you know, I haven't seen anyone who's really, really effective in the healing ministry who doesn't happen to pray in tongues. Now, he said, now he's careful to say, right after he said that, I'm not saying you have to pray in tongues to pray for the sick. I just find it curious. Now, there could be reasons for that. Maybe the kind of Christian who's open to the gifts of healing is also open to the gift of tongues. But I also know that it's really helpful when praying for the sick. I also had a prophet say he never met a prophet. He said, all the true prophets dance. <laughs> I don't know if Stanley knows that one yet. Uh, yeah, that dude's like, when the true prophets of the Lord. You going to do? I was like, I didn't even, that ain't in my Bible, but I like it. <laughs> I feel I feel the same about Wimber's observation. Uh, that's not in my Bible, but I do find it intriguing uh, because sometimes gifts move in clusters, and uh, I wonder how many gifts the Lord would give us if we were hungry for them. Do you ever notice your kids tend to get on their birthdays what they really, really want and persistently communicate to you about? You notice that? And then you also notice when they don't use what you gave them, you get a little bit ticked about it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I pray in tongues to prime the pump of my spirit. So I'll be praying over a friend. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what we're going to pray for, but I'll be praying in tongues. And I won't even necessarily be aware that I'm doing it. So um, I, find, I find that if that's what Wimber is used to seeing, that makes sense to me. Uh, here's another point. Will God make you? 
Because uh, my friend who was like, I'm not baptized in the Spirit because I haven't spoken in tongues. I think that might have been his theology. That he was waiting for God to make it happen with out of his control. Like, like, you know, involuntarily vomiting it out. And I'm like, that's like waiting for God to make you preach. It's like, it's like, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but this seems to me, uh, I'm going to say most of the time, no, sometimes yes, <laughs> being honest. Sometimes, sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes in power on someone who's been going after the Lord, right? They're just like hungry for the Lord. Sometimes when he comes, they realize Bleh! has been coming out of them involuntarily. So I'm not going to say no. He'll never make you. Um, but what I am saying is that yeah, most... I don't, I don't think that's make them. I think they're surrendering. You're right. You're right. It's still not forcing. It's still not forcing. Because they have a big yes in their spirit. Yeah. Uh, I'll say, will God make you speak in tongues? I'm still going to go with the word probably, though, because God's God. Probably not. Nor will he make you get baptized. Nor will he make you read your Bible nor will he make you believe him or thank him or cooperate with him or change. In almost everything you do with God, and I say almost just very carefully, like 99.9.9, in almost everything you do with God, it's cooperation with his empowering, wooing grace, right? So why would this be any different? Why wouldn't God say to you, whisper in your spirit, okay, now open your mouth. Okay, now go. I'm just throwing that out there. And then another point would be we actually are little Allen Iverson for the kids there. You're talking about practice. We're supposed to practice the spiritual gifts if we want to grow in them. I already made this point earlier, so I'm just going to move on. Now let's, I think we could probably almost finish up. That's good, good. What about culture? In some cultures, if nobody is loudly yelling in tongues during the singing time, something must be wrong today. And in other cultures, if, if anyone is praying in tongues, even quietly, uh, we're in real danger of getting disorderly up in here, y'all. And it had nothing to do with truth in either case. It had everything to do with culture. Just because you're comfortable doesn't make it right. And just because you're uncomfortable doesn't make it wrong. I know we're really proud and we think we're right. I've been in meetings where I was offended and I was wrong. And I've been in, a meet in meetings where I was comfortable and I was wrong. I've been in I was in a meeting where somebody was speaking in tongues very loudly into the microphone with no interpretation. Well, I wasn't used to that enough to be okay with that unbiblical practice. But most of the other people in the room were. So I went back to the hotel room and I said to my Pentecostal buddy, that was weird that they violated uh, 1 Corinthians 14. And he's like, instantly offended. What are you talking about violate? They're moving in the Holy Ghost with the freedom of the Lord. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt the presence of God all over the house. It was awesome. God was awesome. But they were mixing in their flesh with it. He's like, what? I said, literally the dude was prophesying a Bible verse out of context against its meaning, and then he went into a tongue with no interpretation. 
that's just not helpful. And my buddy was mad at me for a while. And then after a while, he goes, dang it, you're actually right, which annoyed him so bad. <laughs> because he, he, exper- he had a deeper well of experience with this stuff than me. So how, that's not fair that Tim would be right. But you know what? I would have probably never had a deep well of experience with that stuff without his influence on me. You know what I'm saying? And there's some stuff that was happening in that room that was totally right. And I was so uncomfortable with it. I was judging it. Room full of people going after the Lord. And I was there like, they don't even mean it. They're just getting their Holy Spirit high. It's all about them and their little feelings. They're going to go out and call their friends and be like, this was awesome. And then they're going to go home and go back to their sin. Jerks. And the Lord was like, why aren't you worshiping? And I was like, I'm not participating in this foolishness. These people don't even mean it. And he's like, uh, first off, whose servants are they? And I'm like, uh-oh. This isn't going to go hot. Then I got rebuked pretty sternly. I was uncomfortable with a whole lot of stuff going on in the room because I'm judgmental, you guys. That ain't cool. And guess what happened? Within the span of like a half hour, as he corrected me, why aren't you singing? I started singing as I repented. Why aren't you shouting? Well, you're right. You are worthy. You're so glorious. Why aren't you dancing? Are you serious? You're going to make me dance? No, I'm not going to make you dance. I'm just asking, am I not worthy? Haven't I done anything for you? Didn't I save you? Didn't I put my sonship on you? Don't you have the signet? Do you, do you, what's that ring you got on your finger, boy? Uh-huh. What's that robe you're wearing, boy? How's it feel to be in my family? Oh, I'm dancing. I'm spinning. I'm shouting. Wait a minute. Hold up. Now I'm one of them. Yes, you are. Not so judgy now, are you? So then I got home from that place. Now, you heard me say not everything that was going on in there was, was right. Right? You know how many people? It was the Toronto Revival. It was, it was Catch the Fire Ministries. I didn't know enough to know that supposedly it was demons. I didn't know. Nobody told me. I just showed up in the room, and as soon as I opened them double doors and walked in the back, he hit me like a sauna. <gasps> I said, oh, I know, this, I know this presence. I don't know what the heck's that worship leader doing up there, all like this on the stage and whatnot. That's weird. But I know this feeling. I know this presence. I still don't know what that guy was doing. <laughs> He's doing pelvic thrusts. I was like, Michael Jackson up in here? What are you doing? I was like, if that boy can't function, maybe get a different person to sing for a moment or two. (laughs) See how judgy I was? Still kind of am. So I came home, preached a sermon at my church. Not mine. You know what I mean. The church that I belong to. The next Sunday, I'm just a kid. I don't know nothing. But I told, on the way home, we're in the car. And all of a sudden, I start getting downloads. He wants your heart. Oh, Jared, where's that passage in the, in the Bible where it says this? Oh, I think that's this passage. Thank you. Because there was no Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was before we could Google stuff. We're in the car. We have to actually know our book. You know what I'm saying? It was like Jesus finding the place in the scroll where it was written because there were no Google yet. And, I, and next thing you know, I'm scratching out all these, these things. And I get home and I'm like, oh, man, this is such a good, this is such a beautiful message. I get there, I preach the crap out of that message. Pastor's wife comes up to me crying afterward. People, on, people coming up to the altar crying. People yelling out during the sermon. Mennonites, white people yelling out during the sermon. 
My friends come up to me at the end and instantly they're like, Father, we ju- Father God, we're just going to ask you for humility for this boy. Because we never seen nothing like what happened this morning. This guy's powerfully used by the Lord. I'm like, what y'all praying for? Because I didn't even know what happened. I got woe blasted, filled with the Holy Spirit up in that place. Yeah, but how could that happen if they weren't following the protocols? Guys, did they need a little adjustment? Yeah. Was there a little flesh mixed in? Yeah. But you know what they had that a lot of churches didn't? Him and lots of him. So if you have to choose between the two, which problem do you want? A dead church where everything is completely... I mean, a graveyard is pretty orderly. Two main pitfalls of tongues would be throwing it away because of stuff you've seen done wrong on the one side and then making too much of it and treating it like it's a spiritual badge of accomplishment. You know what I mean? Pump the chest up. I have spoken in tongues. I have arrived. You ain't arrived at jack squat, all right? That's a starting point to go on a journey of learning how to love, learning how to be less than you were, like, you haven't arrived at nothing. It is not a badge of anything. It is a tool to help you connect. It is a tool to help you pray. It is not proof that you're better than the guy next to you. The guy next to you might not pray in tongues and be 30 times more godly than you. You know, I, I pray in tongues and Carl doesn't. And when we walk around a neighborhood praying and greeting my neighbors, I can feel the sonic boom in the spiritual realm as he just walks around. I can feel it like, like a low rumble, lower than ears can hear. And then he just walks cheerfully up. Hey, how are you doing? It's so good to see you. We're walking around. I wonder if there's anything we can pray for you. I'm in the back going, they don't want to hear from me. They don't want to know me. This is so awkward and embarrassing. See what I'm saying? <laughs> so yeah, I pray in tongues, but it's not a badge of like, I have arrived. Give me a break. Uh, Isn't that part of the Mennonite fear that pride will set in and forget the meaning of it? Maybe. You know more what you mean than I do. And then finally, David and Michael. Let's not get to the place where our definition of order and disorder is so messed up that we judge what's truly pleasing to the Lord. David danced before the Lord with such passionate abandon that he lost his outer garment and exposed his upper thighs. I mean, in your culture, exposing your upper thighs is just a Thursday, right? That means nothing in America because we, we are just crazy. But in that culture, that's like, whoa, that's naked, you know? And so his wife sees him dancing before the ark of the Lord and says, ah, and then she confronts him on it. Well, haven't you just made such a wonderful example of how dignified you are? And he's like, mad. He's like, girl, actually, I bet he said, woman. It was before the Lord. It was before the Lord that I was dancing, that I was singing, that I was celebrating, and I should have. He chose me to be king out of all these families. In this whole nation, he chose me, no one else, and not your family. Ouch, now it's getting personal. And I will become even more undignified this, and I'll even be embarrassed in my own eyes. 
But in the eyes of these servant girls you just talked about, I will be exalted. Because he understands how favor works. I will become even more undignified than this in my own eyes. Do you think I care if I'm embarrassing myself? I'm doing it for him. And then she never had a baby after that. Now the question I have is, did the Lord close her womb or did they have a problem between them? I don't know. I'm reading into the text. But what I do know is there is a curse of spiritual infertility when we despise. I mean it. When we despise that which pleases the Lord. Someone's passion, someone's faith, someone's zeal, someone's joy, someone's generosity. When we treat with contempt something that is of the Lord, we dry up. Anyway, that's all for tonight. And we're 10 minutes over. You've given me a lot of extra time, and I thank you for it.